Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey! Good morning. This intro's not as bad. It's not as hard. What do you mean? Oh, the last time we tried to record one, it was it was hard for us. It was difficult. It was. But um, it's morning. Can you believe it? It the is morning. The sun's out. I know. We've had coffee. We're not Maybe cave- this will be a more peppy episode. We're not cave dwellers. No, we're not. <laughs> we'll call it the pep-isode. The pep-isode! <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We did something doing the most. But what do we talk about off the top? Because I feel like there's a lot of topics we could go into. <laughs> a lot well, has happened. I was going to say that since this is the episode that we've now mm-hmm. deemed, um, if you hear more cars driving by because it's the morning, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay? You might think you do, and as you do sometimes. You have these thoughts. But they're not real. But they're not real. I'm going to gaslight you out of hearing the cars in the back of our You don't. I don't know what you're talking about gaslighting. It's just the truth. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like at this point, for us to talk about Will Smith is a little... Kind of like beating a dead horse. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like everyone knows about it. We've all talked about it. We've all heard some bad takes. Yeah. We've heard some decent takes. I've heard people like on the street talking about it as I walked by. So like, I feel like everyone knows about it at this point. But like, what a scene. If you don't know about it, are you living under a rock? Literally. Um, Yeah, I guess for those who don't. Oh my God, under a rock. (laughs) You didn't even get it? No, I didn't. Wow. Okay, good morning. I'm going to go... I'll go stand in the corner for this yeah, episode. you're banished. Um, yeah, Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. We know it. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, perhaps that wasn't the best course of action for Will. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. I guess we could just leave it at that. You know? <laughs> it was just, if you haven't seen the video, go watch it, because Jesus Christ. But... Yeah, I mean, it superseded, like, any news event for the entire week. Seriously. Like, what is Ukraine or the coronavirus oh, anymore? God. Please. It's been smacked out of existence, like, literally. Yeah, that's true. Wow, that's tough. Hey, yeah. life is an unending horror. Life is an unending horror. As you love to say. It, it is. <laughs> and um, I'm going to say that after anything bad happens to me. Okay. That's good. It's fun. It's a good way to cope. Right, that's just true. denial. <laughs> denial, right. Oh, God. But should we just get into what we're talking about today? Yeah, what's the story? It's intense. Let me just start with that. It's a very intense story. Um, and it's pretty much a takedown of a serial killer by a 10-year-old girl. So just, I like that. Just a very but, little tidbit. I don't know. I like that a 10-year-old took down a serial killer. I don't like what's going to be in between that. That's true. Yeah. But this 10-year-old is extremely strong. Like, I cannot put in that enough, or I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, so I guess it's inspirational in a way because of everything that she's had to go through. So let's let's just talk about it. We're going to be talking about Crystal Searles today and how she was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with this unending horror, if you will, mm-hmm. of this serial killer. So 
In December of 1999, Crystal and her younger sister Mark were staying with family friends in Del Rio, Texas, while they waited for their parents in Kansas to move with them and start their new lives. It was easier for the kids to stay with these friends in Texas, that way their parents could get things together without having to worry about the kids being there. So they were just staying with family friends for the time. And at this time, Crystal was only 10, like I said, and her younger sister was seven. But because of the age difference, the two didn't really get along. And I was going to say, I can relate to this age difference because me and my older sister shared the same age difference. And she hated me until I was about, mm, I want to say in my early teens, (laughs) early teens wow probably how fun maybe maybe earlier than that but from what i remember it was like before it was around the time that i became an actual person you know Mm. which also i felt the same about my younger sister so it's just siblings you know the normal sibling drama fair enough but your your younger sister's like what seven years younger than you yeah but we also had like a you know, sisterly, fighty relationship until she was a... Wait, you were like 12, she was like 5, and you were like, fuck this fucking... <laughs> like, kind of, yeah. And my mom even was like, you know, she's like a baby, right? She's like 5, And I'm like, well, dude. she's screaming a lot, and it's really annoying me. You'd be like, she's looking at me weird. She wants to fight. <laughs> That's pretty much how it was, to be honest, and it's kind of silly looking back on it, but... That's just how it was, but that's all right. Anyway, we understand sisterly drama in this house. So the girls were staying with the Harris family, and the Harris family was a larger family. The parents were Terry and Crystal as well. Uh, Crystal with a C, and then the 10-year-old Crystal was with a K, just so we can distinguish. Um, And then their kids were Sean, Justin, Lori, and Katie. So it was definitely a full house. And this trailer home that they were staying at was in the middle of nowhere. They didn't really have many neighbors close by. It was very secluded in the desert, just like nowhere, pretty much. And the night of December 30th, Crystal would be staying in Katie's room with her since she had a bunk bed in her bedroom. Katie, at the time, was 13 years old. She was very popular, beautiful young girl, and well-liked by her fellow students. So Crystal's younger sister, Mark, obviously wanted to sleep on the floor in the room with them because she wanted to be included in this fun that they would be having, but they didn't want her in there with them, so she ended up being banished to the room just across the hall. And she said to this day, she remembers how mad she was that Crystal and Katie didn't let her sleep in the room with them. She was so upset about it that she laid awake for a few hours, just fuming this little seven-year-old laying in the bed in the dark absolutely pissed like for hours but that sucks oh it does suck yeah being the younger sister sucks sometimes but i mean we're gonna come to find out that this was actually a very lucky thing but still at the time she was very upset and crystal and katie had gone to bed late that night because i'm sure they were up having a good time as young girls do but eventually the two went to sleep and Katie got on the bottom bunk and Crystal on the top. In the early morning of December 31st, 1999, a man named Tommy Linsells entered the home of Terry and Crystal Harris through a window that had been left open. The two had become acquainted with Sells since they lived in the same town. He was a used car salesman in town, but he had become friendly with the Harrises when he and his wife had attended Grace Community Church with them. 
The couples became friends, and on a few occasions, Tommy Sills had even visited the Harrises' home to ask Terry for marriage counseling since he had been having marital difficulties. But on this evening, Sells had entered... Wait, sorry. He asked the other couple for marriage counseling? Yeah. Tommy Sells came to Terry Harris and asked for marriage counseling because he was having marital issues with his wife. But, like, a recommendation for a therapist or, like, for him to actually counsel him in his marriage? Well, it was 1999, so I'm going to say he just wanted some bro advice from a bro. But I also think that this was probably just an excuse for him to get to his house. I mean, obviously. To look around. What a weird thing to ask for. Well, yeah. I don't know. He's a great... This man is a monster. I'm just going to start out by saying that this... Tommy Sells is an animal. Like, he is a terrible, terrible man. We've already established that he's a serial killer? Yes. So. One of the worst, probably. Oh, God, Like, really bad. Yeah. Uh, So, he came over to their house with the excuse of, hey, can you give me marriage advice? Because you have such a great marriage with your wife. But I think he was just coming over to, like, look at the house, see the kids, kind of thing. So, this evening... December 31st, Sells had entered the home through a window that had been left open, armed with an 11-inch butcher knife, and he explored the home. Tommy Sells had an extremely long criminal history before this that the Harrises obviously knew nothing about. Terry had been out of town this night since he was in Kansas helping the Searles get their things together in preparation for their move down to Texas. So he wasn't even home. It was just the wife and all the kids. And as Tommy Sells went through the home, he found in one bedroom Harris's wife asleep with a young girl. In another bedroom was a young boy. In one of the bedrooms was a bunk bed occupied by by the Harris's 13-year-old daughter, Katie Harris, and Crystal asleep on the top bunk. Seeing Katie asleep, Sells laid down next to Katie on the bottom bunk where he cut off her clothes and began groping her. As this was happening, Katie immediately woke up and attempted to wiggle out of his grasp and screamed for help. She tried to jump up and run for the door, but Sells managed to get up at the same time and blocked her from getting out of the room, and as she reached for the handle, he lunged at her and began stabbing her. Crystal, who was on the top bunk, remembers being woken up in the middle of the night to a scream, and when she opened her eyes, she saw the lights were on in the room. As she heard this commotion, she had popped her head up to see what was going on. She didn't fully sit up ever, but she was able to situate herself to be able to see that there was a big man in the room with them at the end of the bed. When Crystal had looked down to see what was happening, she saw this man holding his hand over Katie's mouth, and then only a second later, she watched as he slit her throat twice and Katie fell to the ground. The man then stabbed Katie 16 more times, and all Crystal could do was watch in complete shock and horror. It's unclear whether or not Tommy Sells knew that Crystal was in the room at this point. Many sources, including Crystal, say that he didn't know that she was on the top bunk at the time, but he says later on that he did see Crystal as he entered the room. But but for the sake of the story, let's just say he didn't see her because she was a tiny 10-year-old asleep under the covers when he came in. So... After brutally attacking Katie, Tommy Sells started to walk toward the door and leave. But as he had his hand on the knob about to turn off the lights and leave the room and the house as well, he decided to look back into the room one last time. And that's when he spotted Crystal in a ball 
all the way up in the top corner of the bed looking back at him. I can't even imagine how horrifying that moment must have been. My entire body is clenched right now. Yeah. Like, just that image of her curled up as, like, a little 10-year-old up in the corner of the bunk bed and him staring back at her after doing what he had done. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatholic and hear their stories. Yeah, it's... it's it. What am I going to say? No, it's bad. It's just bad. He then walked over to the left side of the bed directly next to Crystal. She was absolutely terrified and held onto her own throat since she was worried he was going to do the same thing that he did to Katie to her. And she scooched as far away from him as possible into the top right corner of the bed. She even said to him, I'll be quiet. I won't say anything. And all he said to her was, move your hands. And then he slit Crystal's throat as well. After that happened, Crystal played dead and laid there in the room as Tommy Sells turned off the lights and walked out. As he exited the trailer, he wiped his fingerprints off a doorknob and took with him the two window screens he thought might contain his fingerprints. And he drove back to his house, stopping to discard the knife and window screens in a nearby field. Meanwhile, Crystal laid there and wondered, had this man been to everyone's room? Is everyone dead? Because why would this man enter the home and kill these two young girls and then just leave? It just didn't make any sense, you know? Right. But she managed to get onto her hands and knees, got off the bed, and crawled over to Katie, who was still making gasping, choking noises. Crystal laid with her and rubbed her back, and it was in that moment that she realized she couldn't speak because all she wanted to do was comfort Katie but her trachea had been severed and her vocal cords had been cut, but all she wanted to do was say that everything would be okay. Not long after that, Katie stopped making these noises, and when that happened, Crystal had this overwhelming feeling of, okay, you need to get up and get out of here and get yourself help. She thought that everyone else in the house had been killed, so she managed to make it down the hallway and get to a notepad and she wrote a note that said, the Harrises are hurt, tell them to hurry. She also wrote, my neck needs help, and will I live? This story just completely ripped my heart out, and I I can't, (laughs) like, actually thinking about this scene makes me want to curl up in a ball and, like, never move again, (laughs) you know? I mean, how much more bleak does it get? It's... It's absolutely terrible. I can't imagine a worse thing. And also, I can't imagine a scarier thing for anyone to go through, let alone children. Yeah. Is her is her entire family just asleep right now? Yeah. Nobody heard it. No. This was not Tommy Sells' first, as we will find out. But yeah. Crystal, who is profusely bleeding, mind you, because she's had her throat cut 
uh, and holding this note, she managed to make it to the front door, but it was still completely dark out, but she could see a light off in the distance because remember this house is very secluded. So there's not like a neighbor next door, you know, Mm. she has to go to the, like go the distance to find someone, but she sees this light. So she decides that this was her goal. So barefoot in her pajamas and covered in blood, she started to slowly walk down the street toward this light. And all she could think about was get to that house, get to that house, get to that house. And she made it all the way to this next house, which was a quarter mile away since they were in the middle of nowhere. And when she got to the house, she started banging on the door. And she had to bang for like, you know, a couple seconds because it was the middle of the night. So it's not like people were awake. But finally, she heard a man's voice ask who's there. But she couldn't make any sound, like I mentioned. So she just kept banging on the door. And so this man opened the door to find this little 10-year-old girl in her pajamas, covered in blood, and holding a note. Oh, my God. I I can't even imagine, like, the whiplash. You just get woken out of sleep, and this is what you are confronted with. It sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. Truly. How do you even react? I feel like it would be complete shock. And you'd have to react very quickly to, like, help this little girl. But you're like, what do I do first? Do I get the phone? Do I hold a towel? Do I, like, on her neck? You know? Do I... What do I do? You're not trained for this. Well, got to call 911 and then try and stop the bleeding. Yeah. So do, do those two things. Yeah, well, that's right. And he did, thankfully. Um, this neighbor immediately called 911 and told them that there was a little girl at his door covered in blood and they needed to get there. And Crystal was quickly after that rushed to the Val Verde emergency room. The next thing Mark remembers was being woken up in the very early hours of the morning by a woman standing in a room in the room with her. The woman handed her a pair of shorts and a purple tank top and told her that they needed to go. And when Mark got up, she remembers seeing just steps from her doorway, a stream of blood going down the hall. It looked as if whoever was bleeding had been stumbling, holding onto things, bumping into walls. It was everywhere. And as she was led outside, there was an even bigger trail, and it went all the way down the front steps in a path down the street and off into the distance. Oh my god. She saw how everyone was frantic and crying, but this, you know, seven-year-old had no idea what was going on. So she's just looking around and seeing absolute chaos and a stream of blood leading out of the house. At around six in the morning, Crystal and Mark's mother, Pam Searles, received a call from the Valverde emergency room telling her that your daughter had been attacked and her throat was cut, and they asked for permission to life flight Crystal. Now, at this point, Pam didn't even know something had happened. Nobody had contacted her to tell her what happened, so immediately she tells them, yes, you have my permission, but asked them where Crystal would be taken, and they told her San Antonio. So, of course, her mother rushes to San Antonio to be with her daughter. Crystal, at that time, had gone through surgery, and thankfully, her mother had gotten there before she had even woken up. But, yeah, as soon as Crystal wakes up from surgery and can speak again, she is ready to tell her mother everything that she knows and that she saw because she wants this fucking guy caught, you know? And Pam, who is just happy to see her daughter alive and in this hospital bed. I mean, not happy to see her there, but happy that she's living. 
told her that she needed to wait for the police because Pam can't do anything, you know? And she wants all this fresh information to be told to the right people so that they can do exactly what they need to in as little time as possible. But once the police did get there, Crystal was ready to give them all the information she could on this man that was burned into her memory. She told them everything. She had woken up from a scream, the lights were on, and everything that she saw, as well as a detailed description of this man. The police had contacted and brought in a forensic sketch artist that was stationed in Midland, Texas at the time, and Crystal told the artist that this man had scruffy, long, dark, curly hair and a beard that covered his whole face, and his eyes were dark and mean. She also gave other, you know, descriptive qualities, but I don't have the exact uh, quote. But the sketch artist was able to come up with a sketch that looked a lot like the man who had actually done this. And the police then brought Crystal a photo lineup of some men for her to look at and hopefully be able to point out who had done this to her. And as soon as she was given the photos, she had focused on and pointed to one man in particular, and that was Tommy Lynn Sells. And that's when he became their number one suspect. Like I said, he had an extremely long history committing crimes, starting all the way back to when he was around 10 years old himself. Throughout his early childhood years, Sells was left mostly to fend for himself. He rarely attended school, and by age seven, he was drinking alcohol. He had a rough- What? (laughs) Age seven? Yeah. Tommy Linsells had a very rough upbringing, which is not an excuse for what horrifying behavior he, you know, does, but maybe a possible explanation to where his rage and motivation may have come from. Yeah, hard to imagine that he would be where he is without that. Yeah, it's it's like the struggle between nurture versus nature. And at at this point, I think it's probably a little bit of both. So yeah, by seven, he was drinking and probably doing some kind of other drugs, but he had a very rough upbringing, and he said, I grew up in a crooked family to begin with. Sells' mother abandoned him when he was 18 months old. He claims he was sexually abused as a child by a man in the neighborhood for years with his mother's permission. His mother, I think, meaning his caretaker, because I think he lived with his aunt for most of his life because his mother had abandoned him, like I said. So with a family member's permission, this was happening, which is just disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. So he just had a terrible life and he began roaming the country when he was 13 and started his career in murdering people at the young age of 15. Sell said he committed his first murder at 15 after breaking into a house. And while in the house, he claimed to have discovered a man performing fellatio on a boy and killed the man in a fit of rage. So from a very young age, he drank heavily, abused drugs and was imprisoned several, several times. He served stretches in prison in a variety of states for a variety of offenses, including sexual assault and auto theft. In 1990, after Sells stole a truck in Wyoming and was sentenced to 16 months imprisonment, he was diagnosed with a personality disorder consisting of antisocial, borderline, and schizoid features, substance use disorder, severe opioid, amphetamines, and alcohol dependence, bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, and psychosis. What does he not have? I, I don't know. Oh, my God. He has pretty much everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was like, I think those are all the mental disorders I know. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a lot, but he has many of them. Tommy Sells was an extremely dangerous and sadistic killer who spared no type of person when it came to killing. 
men, women, children, it didn't matter to him. He had spent the last 20 years drifting throughout the country, often working as a carny, killing people along the way. And not only that, but if his victims weren't killed randomly in the night after breaking in, they would be killed after trying to help him in some way. On a few occasions, people tried to help Tommy Lincells by giving him a ride or giving him a place to get off the street, have a hot meal, take a shower, but he would brutally murder the people who helped him and their families if they were in the home as well. I'm not going to get into specifics on that, but I'll, I'm just going to leave it there. Um, I'm just going to say that this man is an absolute monster. And when hearing about the murders that he's committed, it made me sick and I don't even want to talk about it. So that's where we're at. But as soon as they got the positive identification on cells from Crystal, the police immediately headed back the two hours to Del Rio and straight to Tommy Sell's home, where he lived with his wife and her four children. What? Yeah. He has four children? He, well, he, it, they're not his, but yes, he lives with his wife and her four children. Okay, so he's not the father. I don't think so. Oh my god. Does she know? I can't imagine she does. I mean, he's, he's obviously a monster, so maybe there's some kind of abuse happening. It wouldn't be that surprising. I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah. She's gonna have a surprise. It always shocks me when it's like these serial killers, when these serial killers have wives. Families. And families. And they're like normal people. Like, I mean, they're not, obviously, but... They have the veneer of a normal person. Yeah, they're they're able to like fake it enough to have a house with a wife and children. And like hold a semi-normal relationship with people in the community, like the Harrises, you know? It's insane. Anyway, the police had arrived at his home at 5.30 in the morning, only two days after the attack. And when they got there, they knocked on the door, and it was opened. And when they went inside, they were met by Tommy Lincells. And instead of trying to hide anything or lie, he immediately confessed and said, I'm so glad I finally got caught. I was really tired of doing this. What? Yep. I'm sorry. Fuck you. Like, what? I was really tired of doing this. Goodbye. Like, what? (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't have anything intelligent to say about that. It's just like... I'm just shocked. Yeah. That's what he said? Right. It's just so confusing. I'm so glad I was caught. I'm really tired of doing this. Okay. How about stop? Yeah. How about... Don't fucking do it then. Like it's like, an addiction? What? I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Uh, Maybe knows? it is. Jesus Christ. He's got a dark passenger, for lack of a better... Yeah. Like Dexter? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dexter except, would never. Except none of the qualities that Dexter yeah. exhibits. He's except, a good person. Right. Except not being a vigilante killer. He's just like... He kills the bad people. Well, that's what Dexter does. Right. Which is why it's fine. <laughs> no. Um, we're Dexter fans, but it's still bad. Don't kill people. Um, so <laughs> That's when... Sorry. Um, that's when he was arrested for murder. And he told police he had discarded the knife in a field near his house. Officers at this time had already found the murder weapon, but this was the first piece of evidence that really proved he did it, because now he's giving specific details. I mean, he he confessed, but 
people give false confessions sometimes. So this was mm-hmm. the first bit of thing that was like, ah, yes, you're corroborating the story. So when they found it, it had been used and resharpened so many times throughout the years that the blade was incredibly thin and bent. They said it was one of the scariest murder weapons they had ever come across because of how clearly used this thing was. The blade was like paper thin. Oh my god. Yeah. And 11 inches. <laughs> like, huge. And huge. scary. Police had immediately contacted Pam Searles and told her that they had caught Tommy Lynn Sells. When Crystal's mother told her that he had been found and arrested, Crystal just looked up at her mom and said, Yeah. And that was it. That was it? Yeah. She's just matter of fact. Yeah. Crystal is like, like I can't, I can't stress enough how strong this 10 year old was. Like her unwavering strength is astounding to go through what this 10 year old has gone through and to just be like, yeah, yeah, he was caught. Of course he was. Like what? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's a bit of, you know, denial and. All that yeah. stuff mixed into one. And also she's, we're going to find out that she's already lived quite a life herself. But that's all she said was, yeah. Anyway, thankfully, now they could just focus on her recovery. To lift her spirits, Pam and Crystal would go on walks around the hospital. And on one occasion, she stopped to take a drink of water at the fountain. But when she got up to it, she saw her reflection for the first time in the metal of the water fountain. And Pam said that Crystal cried for a little while because her injuries were shocking, and I'm sure it had brought up some memories for her from that night, but Pam assured her that her neck would heal and she was alive, which was the most important thing. Tommy Sells was incredibly willing to cooperate with the police, so much so that the same day of his arrest, he agreed to do a videotaped walkthrough of the crime scene with the police and explained step-by-step what he had done that night. Watching bits of this taped walkthrough was incredibly eerie. He showed everything, which which window he crawled through, how he did it, how he walked through the entire path in the house, how he walked, how he looked at everyone sleeping in their beds, and then how he came into the room that Katie and Crystal were in, and then of course, how he killed Katie and very matter-of-factly slit Crystal's throat as well. He talked through all of it very normally, too. Like, what's extremely scary about Tommy Lincells, obviously, is what he's done, but it's almost how normal he seems. Like, he looks like a normal dude, and if you didn't know that he was an absolute monster, you really wouldn't be let on just from how he looks. I mean, personally, if I was, you know, somewhere alone at night and saw this man, I'd be creeped out, but that's just because I'm creeped out of... (laughs) men when i'm alone but he looks like a normal guy like he looks normal right and he's like talking normally like in the in the video before they start the walkthrough the police are like you're doing this on your own free will like you you completely agree to do this and he's like oh yeah definitely like he's just talking normally yeah and he's like walking through a murder scene like he's i don't know selling a car yeah Right, just something he, normal. That's what he's a used car salesman. So yeah, Oof. like it's insane. And he like crawled through the window and everything. He's like, oh yeah, I I like looked into that room and there was a little a little girl sleeping in that bed. And I looked into that room and there was, you know, this and that. The people that seem normal are just there's so much more creepy because 
when you can tell what somebody is, even if they're gross, you're like, oh, he's gross. Yeah. But like, you can't tell. Yeah. And it's like the complete lack of remorse and any emotion toward it. Like there's no, he wasn't affected by what he did in any way. It was like a normal Tuesday to him, you know? I mean, uh, he's been killing since he was 15, right? Right. How old is he now? I think he was in his late 30s, I want to say. Yeah. Definitely became normal for him. Or 40s. He's been doing it for almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fucking insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything he told the police matched up completely with the story Crystal had told them. Along with his confession, they had multiple forms of evidence, including the location of the murder weapon, the medical examiner's testimony regarding Katie's injuries, uh, forensic tests confirming the presence of Cell's blood and clothing fibers on Katie, and forensic tests confirming the presence of Katie's blood and clothing fibers on Cell's. He also told the police that he had highly considered killing everyone in the house that night, but thankfully he did not. The police came to the conclusion that the motivation for this murder was sexual assault, and that he had targeted Katie before the attack had even taken place. So he had seen her, you know, with the Harris family, and he had his sights on her for a while. After the arrest and the walkthrough of the crime scene, Sells sat in the back of the cop car fairly quiet as they drove back to the station. But out of nowhere, he said to the police, so I guess you want to know about the other murders too. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we We do. do. What? Could you imagine being in that car? Being the cop driving the car and him saying that? I'd be like, I would have to reconfirm like what? So matter of factly. Yeah. So I guess you want to know about the other murders too. Yeah. Huh? Um, what? Please, what? (laughs) Yeah, wait till we get to the station, but goddamn. Yeah. So this led to hours and hours of interrogation where the police and also a journalist named Harold Dow from 48 Hours sat in the room with Tommy Lincells and listened to him go on go on about his many murders from state to state, talking about the men, the women, the children he killed along the way. So they knew that they were in the presence of a serial killer. He told the police that, quote, his daddy told him long ago that dead men tell no tales. After that, the police spent months and months with Sells going through his other murders, taking him to different places to get as much information as they could out of him to solve these other cold cases. And after all was said and done, the police had confirmed 22 murders that Sells had committed, but he said there were as many as 70 others. Retired Texas Ranger John Allen said, We did confirm 22. I know there's more. I know there's a lot more. Obviously, we won't ever know a definite number of crimes by Sells. He has since been deemed the coast-to-coast killer, since he was a drifter for most of his life and killed all over the country. Sells told the police that he had never left a witness alive before uh, before Crystal, and when asked why he had been caught, he said, because I left someone alive. But he slit her throat. He did. He didn't mean to leave her alive. No, but he was just, I guess, trying to get out of there and figured this 10-year-old will probably die pretty easily, you know? Thankfully, she didn't, and she is extremely resilient and managed to walk a quarter mile with her gigantic wound so yeah what he didn't know was that he had other survivors and we're going to talk about them another time as well but this is not their story right now so we will talk about them another time after physically recovering in the hospital crystal ended up going back to kansas with her parents for the time being which was relieving 
but she knew that she'd soon have to go back to Texas to testify in front of Tommy Sells. But she said she was ready. And not only that, she wanted to. She, like, was gearing up to be there in front of Tommy Sells and be like, you can't hurt me anymore. Put that motherfucker away. Seriously. The trial took place nine months after the murder. Tommy Sells' defense attorney's only strategy was to keep him off of death row. Because at this point, this man is defending a known serial killer. It's been confirmed. He confessed. He confessed. went into great detail. Right. About 22 yeah. murders? Well, confirmed 22. Confirmed. But, like, definitely more than 22. Yeah, um, could you be, like, can you imagine anyone on the jury being like, I don't know. Well, I don't, know, I don't know about life. So the diff- so what uh, this court case, like what made it a little weird was he was not on trial for anything other than him killing Katie and, you know, the attempted murder of Crystal. And I, I believe the jury didn't even know about his other murders. murders. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, do you need more? Right. No, I mean, you don't. But I mean, it probably would have swayed them in any other direction i mean it's not like he was going to get off in any kind of way the the real question with this court case was will he be in prison for the rest of his life or will he be put on death row like this was pretty much the only distinguishing thing they needed to decide so crystal said that she knew he couldn't hurt her anymore so she felt fine to testify in front of him but this little girl was only 11 years old and hadn't seen him since the night he murdered Katie in front of her and slit her throat. She put on an extremely brave face, but before the trial, Crystal stayed with the Texas Ranger in charge of her case and would wake up in the middle of the night screaming from nightmares. So she was definitely struggling, but like I said, she was incredibly brave and she wanted to prove that she was not scared of him, even though she probably was, you know? And not probably, definitely. She said she liked feeling the power she had in that room because he was there because of her. So she put all of her energy and thoughts to Katie. On the day Crystal had to testify, she told her mom not to cry because it would only distract her and make her upset. Wow. Which is kind of funny to me. She's like this little 11 year old and she's like, mom, you better not freaking cry. I swear to God, if I'm on the stand and you start crying, it's going to distract me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's intense. It's insane. And how, how can you ask your mother not to cry in the courtroom of something like this? I mean, obviously, she's 11 and she doesn't understand the gravity of the situation, maybe. But, like, damn. Yeah. It just kind of made me laugh. But when the moment came for Crystal to go up and testify, they asked her if she wanted to walk by him or go through the court in a way that would just plop her at the witness stand and not go anywhere near him. And she told them that she wanted to walk by him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because she wanted... Because she wasn't scared of him. That's what she said. It's insane. Everyone in the courtroom knew she was there for business when she walked out into the courtroom with her chest puffed out and her head held high. And she walked right past Tommy Lincells. But once she was on the stand and needed to testify and actually looked at him and had to point him out was when the nerves really set in. She noticed that he was bouncing his leg really quickly and never looked up at her. When she was asked what happened in the room, the nerves and emotions at that point had gotten so overwhelming for her that she couldn't answer any more questions. They took Crystal out for a quick t- for a quick 15-minute recess and told her that she was going to be okay and she was almost done. So she went back out there and answered every question. She had to walk by the jury and show them her scar and lay on a table to show how she popped her head up when watching 
Tommy Sells hurting Katie. But she did it. She literally, in front of him, had to reenact things that happened in the room. Which is insane. I can't eat, I can't believe. Like, I can't believe they asked an 11-year-old to do that. Like, uh, do they really need it at that point? I mean, yeah, but also that the 11-year-old wanted to do it. I guess. I mean, she was, she was revving to go, so... But I guess once she was, you know, already doing it, it wasn't that big of a deal anymore. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm amazed that she got through it. That's what I'm saying. It's insane. She's 11. 11. Yeah. That's what? That's so young. So Tommy's defense attorney was really taken by Crystal. And after she had testified for the prosecution and when he had the opportunity to cross-examine Crystal, all he said was, you're a very brave girl. No more questions. So he didn't even try to do Good. anything. Because, I mean, he's not a monster, you know? He he knows he's defending a serial killer. So he's like, I don't really care to defend this well, man to my I fullest mean, extent, <laughs> you know? Right. But, I mean, some defense attorneys would. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. But he, at this point, has already confessed. So there's not much that this defense attorney could even do other than, you know, try to not get him to be put on death row. So Yeah, I know. But... Yeah, when they really go for the throat on victims and cross-exam... Well, okay, I didn't really mean it like that. <laughs> oh, no, don't but say like, that. But, like, verbally, uh, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say I know, here. I know, If he actually gave her a hard cross-examination and questioned her in a serious way, like, it's just so... It wouldn't make any sense in this case yeah. because he's already confessed and done a recorded, like, a videotaped detailed walkthrough of everything so they're asking her questions of what happened you know and like maybe they're spinning it not even spinning it because you can't it's not like you can make it any worse than yeah, it actually try and was spin this. no but i'm saying like i'm sure they're emphasizing how terrible it was rightfully so but there's no spinning it in the defense's you know uh favor because he already confessed to it right and i'm sure they showed the video of him doing the walkthrough in the court you know why would they not so Anyway, when the defense attorney didn't ask Crystal any questions, she was pretty shocked, but it made her feel good because she thought that even though he had to defend Tommy Sells, he was still on her side. So it gave her just a little bit more confidence. And as she walked out of the courtroom, she felt great. When the jury left the courtroom, they only took an hour to come back with the guilty verdict on September 18th, 2000. Now they needed to decide whether or not to give him the death penalty. And during this time, it was discovered that Crystal had been a survivor for a lot longer than just her attack. She had an extremely rough childhood as well. When Crystal was only five years old, her parents started using drugs, and they quickly fell down the spiral that is addiction. They had gotten into trouble with the law a few times, and their lives had completely gone out of control. Crystal's mother at that time knew that this isn't how she wanted her life to be. She wanted a family and she wanted a happy life. So she decided to divorce Mark, who was Crystal's father, and immediately remove herself from the home. That way she could get clean and be the mother she wanted to be. But in the meantime, Mark was left with Crystal and her two younger sisters, which meant that Crystal needed to step up and take care of her siblings because her father wasn't going to. Crystal said her father was still very much using and would sleep for days at a time. From age six, Crystal became the backbone of her family. 
She did everything for her sisters, who at the time were babies, from changing their diapers, feeding them, cleaning up after them, everything they needed, all while getting herself early and going to school. How old was she? Like, from age six. Six? Yes. So a first grader? Yes. A first grader would get up early, situate her sisters, change their diapers, feed them, bathe them, clean the house, and then get herself to school. Oh my god. A first grader, yeah. And she would joke that she was the stinky kid in school because she never had time to take a shower, which is not funny, but I'm glad she can cope with it in some way, you know? She said that she wore the same clothes every day, she walked to school, she was late every single day to school, and no one ever saw her parents or her siblings. She was just kind of the random girl in school. And I know that this is like the early 90s, but why didn't anyone step in? Yeah, I was like, like nobody fucking noticed as I, a teacher. I'm sure they did. How could they not? She's did the stinky girl. Did they do anything? No, I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. And they never saw her parents either because her mom at this point was out of the picture and her dad was actively using and selling drugs. So. I don't know. That's. Disgusting. Yeah, it is. Negligence on another level. Seriously. I know. Her youngest sister, Amber, said that Crystal was the mother and the father. She did everything for them and she put them first always. When her mother did get clean, she came back and decided to take her daughters out of that home and with her. He was still using and dealing at that time, which made Crystal extremely angry, rightfully so, because she believed that he was choosing that over his own daughters. After some time, her father ended up being caught and serving prison time for what he was doing. And Mark was still in prison at the time of Crystal's attack. And when he couldn't be there for her, that also made her extremely angry and resentful, even though she knew he couldn't be there. Her father, Mark Searles, said he doesn't believe this tragedy would have ended the way it did if she didn't have the childhood that she had. Which almost came off to me as him taking credit for her strength and resilience. Kind of, you know? But also I'm sure he just meant it in a crystals incredibly strong and always has been kind of way but he's like if i wasn't such a deadbeat father then she wouldn't have survived like what yeah i mean that comment comes off pretty poorly but i i I just kind of want to hear more from him like was there something after that quote because just standing on its own it does seem like yeah you know the way i brought her up which was which you not yeah which is not Crystal brought why, herself up. Yeah, which is why she's so strong. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean don't know. it's it's a fair statement in that like It's true. It's true. Yeah, like he if he's taking responsibility for the fact that he did not raise Crystal, then sure. But if he's saying like ah, she's tough as nails cuz I yeah. was And terrible. I recommend it. Yeah, like, no. Come on. Right. Mark also said it's a good thing that he was in prison at the time of the attack, because if he wasn't, he would have killed Tommy Sells. So, I don't blame him for that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now it came down to whether or not he would get the death penalty, as I've said many times. So, Crystal said this was a very weird time for her, because they were hoping for the death penalty, but when she stopped and really thought about what that meant... She wasn't sure if she did actually want that because she wasn't the type of person that felt okay wishing death on anyone. But after the second trial, the the jury took, again, only a few hours to come back with the verdict that Tommy Linzels would be getting the death penalty. 
and he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Johnny Allen, who was the Texas Ranger we've been talking about, said, Certainly the jury was not aware of the gruesome details and all other homicides that Sells had committed. And it's almost as if when he received that death penalty, he's getting the death penalty for all the other homicides he's committed. I thought he received exactly what he deserved. I mean, Sells is an animal inside a human body. On January 3rd, 2014, a Del Rio judge set Sells' execution date for April 3rd, 2014. Sells' death sentence was carried out at the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville. At 6.27 p.m., he was pronounced dead. Crystal Searles and members of both of the Harris and Searles families attended the execution. Crystal understandably had a hard time adjusting to life after the attack. Her sister said that they knew how strong Crystal was, and they knew she'd make it through. Crystal, her two sisters, and her mother all slept in the same bed for years after the attack, and even still, Crystal would lie awake staring at the ceiling until 5 a.m. or feel her family's chests to make sure they were still alive. She, of course, struggled with survivor's guilt. She would think about Katie and what their lives could have been, but she also said that if she goes too far down that rabbit hole, it's not going to be good for her, so she tries not to dwell on it. But time really healed Crystal, and a kind of silver lining to this terrible tragedy was the attack on his daughter was like a slap in the face for Crystal's father, Mark. It really made him step back from himself and ask the question, do you love your kids or not? Thankfully, he was able to get clean, and once he was out of jail, start forming a relationship with his family again. Her father was in jail for three years, and she said once he got out of prison was when she started forgiving him. He was able to stay clean and be there for her graduation, which was huge. And their relationship has only gotten better with time. Sometimes it's still tough for them, but Crystal said he's really making up for the lost time. And Crystal is still like a second mother to her sisters, and they became closer than ever before. Crystal also stayed close with Harold Dow, who was the reporter from 48 Hours who worked on her case and sat in the room with Tommy Sells as he confessed. Harold thought Crystal was a hero, but she told him as a little 10-year-old that she didn't think she was a hero, she was just really, really lucky. But he stayed friends with the family until Harold died in 2010, which is just a wholesome little tidbit of information. Crystal, at the time of this interview, like of her telling the story, she was 20 and she was living with her father in Idaho and she at that time had been accepted into college and was starting school that January. So I'm sure she's doing great things. Good for her. Although we can't end there. Unfortunately, something crazy did happen to Crystal and her family again in 2016, nearly 17 years after her brush with death, a stranger named Alvin Willie George began sending images of the bloody crime scene to Crystal and her sisters at their home in Idaho. The images showed Katie Harris and, you know, other terrible images from this attack. And he also sent extremely threatening messages to Crystal and made clear that George knew where she lived as well as the names of her son and her sisters. Crystal has a son? Yeah, at that time she she had a son. So this man who is now threatening her with images of her attack when she was 10 years old, uh said, I know your son's name as well as your sister's name, and I know where you live. What the fuck? For what reason? I mean, obviously nothing good, but yeah, can according... this family have, like know no peace? Right, exactly. I'm like, wh- of all people to harass, why are you picking the victims of a violent attack? 
Like, what? How messed up can you be in the head? But according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Idaho, George did not know the surviving victim or her sisters, and rather he researched the 1999 murder on the internet and used various Facebook accounts he created to send harassing and intimidating messages to these women, as well as threatening to rape and kill them. A federal judge sentenced George, who was 25 and who lived in Cross City, Florida, to more than four years in prison for cyberstalking, and he pled guilty to get a, I guess, a plea agreement. Upon his release from prison, he will be on three years of supervised release. And that is the end of that. But to end on a less terrible note, Crystal said in an interview that she doesn't think about Tommy Sells at all. He doesn't take up any of her brain space because he doesn't deserve it. He's dead to her. And he's also just dead. But (laughs) she, she said if anything, he made her really grateful. Quote, he didn't bring me down at all. And these are happy tears. I'm just glad to be here. So that is the story of Crystal Searles. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if it, if he truly doesn't take up any of her brain space, that's a, that's amazing. That's a win. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how I could ever get that out of my head. No. If that happens to me, Mm-mm. but I can't uh, imagine the trauma. Jesus. But yeah, I'm sure I mean, she really had to work through that. Definitely. I mean, 100%. Sure. But and then and then there's this fucking idiot who is sending them threatening messages. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yeah. I, I'm like in 2016, your life is like moving on. You have a son, you're like 20 something going to college like Right. Life is living good. your life. Like right. Tommy Sells is at that point was dead already for years. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, 2014 he died. So yeah. 2016. Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, that's illegal, right? Like, overt yes. threats of a crime Definitely. are illegal. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Some of the internet stuff is kind of pernicious and not, yeah. like, oh, it's not technically illegal, but, mm-hmm. you know, an obvious threat. I don't know. I was saying, or I was going to say that if it was just sending these pictures and letting them know that you knew where they were and what your son's names are i don't think that that's illegal i think it is it is i think so i think with the cyber stalking laws it is illegal to like but send it's not threatening. cyber it's like mail right no it was on the internet i was on the internet yeah it was on okay. facebook i'm glad that he got convicted yeah, and went to prison yeah, yeah. It, it, it would i could see how maybe in certain cases if it wasn't as severe as it was he could have just gotten away with that yeah yeah, I can't believe <laughs> everything. It's insane. Do you have anything else to say before we wrap it up? Yeah, uh, I guess not really. I just really happy she's uh, in a better place. Definitely, the cyber stalker's gone. Yeah, her attacker's dead. Yeah, and, and she... I hope nothing else happens. Right, keep it good. <laughs> keep it good. You know? and keep it light. Keep it light, and that she's forming or she formed a relationship with her father. And, yeah, you know. Her family seems to be getting on. Yeah. So. And she has a son from what I saw. So that's great. I mean, she's, you know, obviously a resilient person. And so I'm sure anything else that life throws at her, she can handle. Yeah. What you more know? could life throw at you? Seriously. Truly. Right. Um, anyway, what's your good thing? My good thing is that it's our four-year anniversary this week. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone listening is like, uh, yeah, that's crazy <laughs> I, yeah. can't, I can't believe it's been we'll have to years. do something after it because you're actually working yeah i am day. i am working but. on tuesday which is <laughs> oh it comes out on tuesday hey for hey. four years anniversary oh. yeah but uh i could have gotten a degree in your ass 
Uh, you have a degree in me. I got a degree in you. That's where's my weird. certificate? Where's my diploma? Yeah, where's my diploma? Damn it! I I put in the work. <laughs> but um. Well, you actually a few credits short, so uh, you're gonna have to take another year. Shit! All right, I have to extend my, my subscription. Subscription. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Hell yeah! My good thing is also that, but what else? I don't want to have the same one. <laughs> No, I just feel like it's a cop out to have the same it, good it thing. Is. But it's a very I know what you're saying. It's a good thing. I'm it's very happy thing. about it. Yeah, I know. But it's funny. It's like but <laughs> But I ate the best bread pudding last night. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you know, like I woke up at a good time this morning. <laughs> yeah. I got up on the right side of the bed. You know what? No, that's my good thing too. Let's celebrate love. Squeeze the person that you love and your family and tell them. You can you have love another them. good thing. No, I I think that's good. I okay. think it's a good thing. All right. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out some extra content that we have, check us out on patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. Or get episodes early. Or get episodes early. If you would like to send in your own survivor story for us to read on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.